just find a farmer. Find a farmer to connect with and and develop that relationship. It's kind of like, you know, once you find your farmer, it's kind of like finding your hairdresser. You can't survive without it. It plays a part in almost everything we bring into our homes. It's agriculture. I'm Amy Flugsopt. In my 15-year career as a broadcast journalist, I've traveled the country, won awards, and have told the stories of everyone from presidential candidates to the neighbor next door. Now, I'm getting back to my farm girl roots to connect you back to where your food, fuel, fabric, and all of those items in between originated, the farm. Inside the Bullseye is a one-of-a-kind conversation that's designed especially for you, the consumer. Broadcasting from my home studio in Madison, Wisconsin, I'm Amy Flucksopt. Trust me, this isn't your grandfather's way of farming. Thanks for having me. Excited. I yes, we take a break, but I don't think I'm any busier than anyone else. So yeah, no, it's my pleasure. I think it's kind of our duty as farmers to to help educate and. Um, share our story. <laughs> Wild. Yeah, so um, I always have a little struggle with first shift. I'm so glad you could squeeze some time in for us here at Inside the Bullseye. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You are a busy, busy woman. Do you ever get a break? Uh, yes, we take a break, but I don't think I'm any busier than anyone else, so. <laughs> I think you're being quite modest. I know you do a lot in the community. You're a great advocate for the industry of agriculture, so... First of all, I just want to say a huge thank you for what you're doing with yeah, that. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. I think it's kind of our duty as farmers to, to help educate and um, share our story. Well, I do want to admit that Sarah and I have been following each other on social media now for I don't even know how many years. Wild. <laughs> and it's been a long while. And honestly, I think it all started when you actually commented on one of my posts while I was previously working as a television journalist, but uh, Sarah, I just, I love your backstory so much, and especially you being a first-generation farmer, something that is very rare these days. Tell us how your family got its start. Yeah, so um, I always have a little struggle with first-generation farmer because um, one time I was talking to someone and they're like, yes, you are a first-generation farmer. You're not on the family farm. Um, so we do have farming backgrounds, um, but moving here and starting this all on our own 
we're you know first generation farmers. We bought this land that we're we're on and and making it a go on our own. Um, so not on the family farm, but yeah, we moved here to Wisconsin. Um, we're Buckeyes by by nature. Um, we moved here. Uh, it'll be seven years ago um, this November. Wow. So yeah, um, Kenny's off the farm job brought us here. Um, and at that time, I was a nursing home administrator. And so when we moved here, I started staying home with the girls. And after about a year, um, you know, we didn't know anyone <laughs> moving here. So we moved here, bought a house in one acre just outside some prairie. Then we searched for land um, to rent for the summer to pasture cows and the winter to house cows and did that for a little bit. And then slowly we've we bought 50 acres just outside of Sun Prairie and then bought our the farm we're on now three years ago. So just a little at a time, kind of building building our little farm. And that's what you really have to do, especially being a first-generation farmer, because if you start thinking about the price of land, buildings, you know, buying animals or any type of equipment to do any type of row crops. I mean, that that can be a pricey, uh, a pricey investment. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's very expensive to get into. And so, I mean, it just started as kind of a hobby. When we were in Ohio, we, you know, it wasn't a matter of if we will have cattle once we got married, it was just when. And so we bought, you know, the first cows soon after we were married. And then it just kind of grew from there and then moving here and moving them and, you know, a little bit at a time. I love what you said there. It wasn't if, it was when. So what really was motivating you to take that leap? Because we know becoming a first generation farmer is not easy. So what was that passion that was driving you? Oh, I mean, it's just how we grew up, you know, and um, Kenny works in agriculture and it's not just working in agriculture, but being actual producer as well. So, um, you know, putting that practicality to work. So, and for both of us, I mean, we were 4-H kids. We grew up showing animals and, you know, just the kind of lifestyle we wanted to live. So... It, it really is a lifestyle. That's what I love to to say about the this industry and 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 being a farmer because it is more than just a job. You live this day in and day out. Yeah, and that's what makes sharing everything on social media so easy because it's just that's just our day. That's our life. That's um, it's just natural to share what we're doing. Um, I always that's what I always say. It's you know it's our it's more than a job. It's just it's what we do day in and day out. It's our lifestyle and that's what we choose to do. And so we're glad that we can make an income doing it. Every, every farm operates a little bit differently and every day to day looks so different for each and every farmer. So tell us on average what a day to day looks like out on Wells Farm. Oh yeah, so <laughs> it is, it changes every single day. So um, we usually wake up pretty early, 5.30 to get going. Um, Kenny does all of the the chores and things here um, before he goes to work and I get the girls ready and off to school. They do have chores that they need to do before they head to school. So Nola has some pigs to feed, Macy has some chickens to feed and uh, cats and dogs. Um, so they do that before heading to school and then um, Kenny's at work and then my day just every week changes because 
of, you know, do I have beef to pick up from the butcher? Are we sending beef to the butcher? Um, do I have deliveries or CSA deliveries um, this week? And um, just managing social media and contacting wholesale provider, you know, our restaurants partners. And so that just keeps us busy all, all week. But um, so it goes back and forth, you know, of how, how the week goes, but usually a general doing chores, uh, farmer's markets, pick up from the butcher, inventorying, farm store, deliveries. It's pretty much how the week goes. Again, a busy lady. You're always, you're always doing something. (laughs) So tell me a little bit about how many animals you have on the farm and, um, you know, what, what kind of animals do you have? So we have beef cattle. Um, and that's kind of what we started with. Uh, we brought our cows from Ohio here. Um, and then, you know, Kenny breeds the cows and then we raise those calves. We also buy some calves in to help um, supplement for our demand. So we don't have, you know, we only have so much space, land um, to raise so many cattle. So raising from conception to slaughter is not uh, feasible for everything um, for us. So we do as many as we can um, that way. And then we buy in from some other local farmers as well for to supplement those calves that we get in at a young age. Uh, And we added pigs a year ago, so we are just starting to offer our first pork. So right now I have... Nice. um, We have a litter of pigs that was just born two weeks ago, so we have 12 little ones out there in the barn right now, and um, then about 50 chickens as well that we just do laying hens, so eggs for the markets and deliveries as well. I think this is a really good opportunity to talk about the difference in 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 the cycle of, you know, that conception to harvest for beef and that conception to harvest for pigs because it is very different. So let's talk about that. What can you tell our consumers about how that works? Yeah, so for conception to slaughter for your beef, it's going to be two years, basically, by the time we breed that mama cow until that steak hits your plate. Um, for pigs, it's quite different. So the gestation for pigs is three months, three weeks, three days. Um, those pigs can have two litters in a year, uh, allowing us to add pork more frequently than we can add beef. So that turnaround time is quite different. And I think that's really important for our consumers to understand that that that, that span of time just is not even comparable between these two options that we so often enjoy in our homes. Right, yeah. So the, the pigs that were just born a couple of weeks ago, they'll be ready um, to send processing in April, you know, end of March, April, um, where calves just being born, it's, it's going to be a while. One thing I do want to back up and ask you, um, as we were getting into this, you talked about moving your cattle from Ohio to Wisconsin. Was that a single cow you moved or did you move a herd? We moved a, a semi-load of a, wow. a herd. Yes. So when we moved here, you know, um, we didn't know anyone and we bought our house in one acre. Um, actually, we I saw the house the day we moved in. Um, so, <laughs> wow, that's a surprise. Yeah. Um, and then... 
it took a little bit. We left the cows in Ohio with um, a friend to manage until we could find the space and, you know, make some connections and develop some relationships with people to, to rent some land to graze them and to rent some barns to house them. Uh, and then, so it was about a year after we were here before we moved the, the cattle here. So I think I just, I had it wrote down, um, yeah, 20, March of 2016, we moved the cattle, the cattle here. Um, and then kind of just started Wells Farms um, beef a few years after that. So, um, but before that we were selling you know, the calves off to other farmers, kind of seed stock. And I'm assuming making that move to Wisconsin, it didn't feel like home until you got the cows here. Am I right? Right. And it was pretty easy every day. <laughs> it's just that connection you have with those animals that just makes your family just feel complete. Speaking from my own background growing up on a beef farm, I just I know how special it is to have them with you and being able to take care of them. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it felt like part of your day is missing if you didn't weren't able to go out to the barn or go go do chores somewhere. So. <laughs> well, Sarah, on your website, wellsfarmsbeef.com, we're also going to have that linked in the show notes so people can uh, have some easy access to that. Um, I love this quote that I just want to, I, I want to share with our consumers here that it says, quote, we believe knowing us, your farmers and where your food comes from is more important than the newest buzzwords you'll find on your food labels. Now, to me, that is that is just a really profound statement, something all of us here at Inside the Bullseye wholeheartedly believe how important it is to have that connection to your farmer. And it's just really part of our mission to, to bridge that gap between producers just like you and the consumers at home that are listening to this podcast. So how do you as a farmer face those obstacles that are out there that often come in, in the form of those latest buzzwords that... Uh, sometimes carry partial truth or maybe just flat out misinformation altogether. Yeah, no, I think that's, I mean, that's why I love the farmer's market and getting that interaction with consumers is because, I mean, I'll have people come up and say, is, is your beef grass fed? Well, I don't really know what that means, but like they just feel like they have to ask that or ask if it's organic. And and then once they start talking to us and come out to the farm and see where the animals are raised and how we're raising it, they're like, oh, well, you know, that doesn't really matter as much because I've seen them. I, I see how you care for them and I, I see how well everything is taken care of and I trust you and I trust your your judgment as the farmer, as the expert to know how to raise these animals the best for our nutrition. So. I just think that connection is is where it matters. And then we've had other people say, you know, I, I want organic, but knowing you is more important to me than, than that label. Because I have access to ask you questions and I can call you or stop out anytime to ask things. Yeah, I think that connection is, is just vital in understanding and, and feeling that comfort in, in knowing where your food is coming from. But just to point out to our consumers, getting an organic certification is very, very difficult. There are a lot of hoops you have to jump through, a lot of licenses you have to get. It's not an easy thing. No, it's not. And expensive as well. I mean, it's not. Mm -hmm. 
it's costly to go through all of that as well. So what do you think is the most surprising thing when, when your consumers actually start interacting and talking with you or coming out to the farm to see how these animals are raised? What do you think shocks them the most? Well, I think one, the first thing is when they taste beef, the taste the beef, that's what shocks people the most is say, oh, well, this doesn't taste like anything I've got in the grocery store. And then they come out and get to see, you know, they just love being able to see the animals. And while that can be difficult at times, I always, I always have to take care when I post things like baby pigs and then a pork post, but, um, people, but then that also opens up a dialogue of this is what we do. Um, this is why we raise these animals is, is to feed us. Um, and we'll get the question of, don't you get attached? And whenever I get that question, I always say, I think when my daughter was eight, she said it best, mom, we take care of them so they can take care of us. And I said, yes, that is, that's exactly, exactly true. Um, and so when I tell that to a, a consumer, they're like, oh, you know, you're right. And she's right. That's exactly what you do. You know, you give them the best possible life and, you know, take care of them as best as you can so that they can in turn do that for us. You know, sometimes our kids are just so smart, wise beyond their years. And and I just think of this lifestyle your daughters are getting to live and that knowledge that they have that they can then share with consumers, their friends, their friends' families as well. That's that's just amazing. Yeah, yeah, I know um, Macy, my oldest, has even brought things up at, at school. She's told me, she said, you know, well, they said this, but I said, no, that's not true. This is how it works. And like, well, great. I'm glad that you're advocating and, and sharing that information correctly. Oh, that that's great. She's the next generation to be an advocate for this industry. I love hearing that. I, I think that's that's one of the the hardest things as an advocate myself that I've had to battle with is is people ask that to me as well. Is like, well, don't you get attached to these animals? And yes, I will be the first to admit I am very much attached to the animals that I raised. And when you raise them from conception to harvest, it's hard because they have been with you cattle, like you said, for two years, you become very attached to them. But that's the one thing I've always said too is, we do everything in our power to give them the best life possible. They are basically treated like our family, our children. We want everything from their health and safety and wellness to be top priority. And it, and it is the circle of life. And I, I just love what your daughter said. You know, we take care of them so they can take care of us. I think I'm going to start using that myself now. <laughs> yes, that was that was my favorite quote She's um, she said. And we, we use it frequently. So Well, we're going to kind of, you know, keep going on that thought process of, of feeding people and taking care of people in the community. And I know you have a lot of great partnerships with many local businesses and restaurants um, in the Madison area here. What's it like knowing your products are, are feeding members of your community? I mean, that's, that's the whole reason we got into this was to be able to feed our community and being able to extend that beyond what we can do here at the farm is, I mean, it's just amazing. It's 
what we what we set out to do and our whole goal. And so I love being able to see our name on menus, knowing that people that may not be buying from us here at the farm are getting um, our local beef elsewhere. So Let's talk recipes, because I think that's one of my favorite things about following you on social media and your website. You are always always showing great ways to dress up dinner and of course all those staples that we have on hand and there's one in particular I actually just found on your website and it looks like you posted it a while ago but it's one I must have have missed along the way and it, it, it just looks delicious and I can't wait to make it for my family it's the beef and queso chimichangas and I love a good chimmy whenever I go to a, a, a Mexican restaurant that is what I'm ordering and I love what you said in the post is like a chuck roast and a slow cooker doesn't have to automatically mean a pot roast. Yes. So how do you come up with these ideas and why is it so important to kind of mix up those traditional dishes we're so used to having? Oh, I just like highlight, I mean, it's, there's some things that are just so versatile and we get kind of stuck on one and the, the way it's always been cooked and to find new ways and broaden that. I mean, we're all, I mean, after last year, we all cooked a lot. And so we <laughs> yes, were, we did. We were, you know, experimenting and learning a little bit more and expanding on some of those skills that we may or may not have had. And the, you know, just being able to highlight how to use something differently is one of my favorite, favorite things to do. I love to cook. And so this is like the perfect perfect job to be able to do to do that and share some of those recipes I mean not a chef by any means just a home that <laughs> um if I can do it you know anybody can because let me tell you I didn't start out and Kenny I'll tell you the same thing I didn't start out cooking, <laughs> cooking like this um when we first got married so it just takes practice and you can do it I mean anybody can do it so is there one that sticks out in your mind that you just, like your family just goes crazy over? Is there something you can share with our listeners that maybe they could make for dinner tonight? Oh, that, are, that everybody goes crazy over? Um, the chimichangas were, were really popular. Um, but I think, you know, a, a chuck roast is, everyone in this family loves a chuck roast. And so if I can, yes. if I can cook a chuck roast just in a um, base kind of way, um, which is the chuck roast in the slow cooker with some steak seasoning, an onion, and a cup of beef broth. Uh, I use it so many different ways throughout the week. And, you know, grilled cheese with beef, Ugh. shredded beef on it is one of our favorites. Yum! In tacos. So, and even just Kenny's favorite is for me to cook that chuck roast that way. And we just eat it with a tomato from the garden and some sassy cow cheese and... Um, that's just dinner like that, you know, um, pretty simple, but it reminds him of growing up at his grandma's and, um, but if I can cook a base, just base like that, you can, I can use it throughout the week, many different ways. Oh, that sounds delicious. Like I never even thought to, to shred it up and put it in a grilled oh. cheese. Like that's something I'm going to have to do <laughs> because like you said, I am always scrolling through Pinterest or social media sites trying to find new recipes because, yes, after last year, I was like running out of ideas because you were cooking the same thing over and over and over. So I love that. I'm going to have to add that into my rotation. Yeah. So um, and then one thing that I do every winter because, you know, winters in Wisconsin can get kind of <laughs> kind of stuck in that 
rough. Cold, yeah. Um, it's a new a recipe challenge. So I've done that the last Ooh. years. Um, this year, I think we had about 70 people sign up. Not all, everyone went through the whole, the whole six weeks, but each week I give you a new cut of, of meat and tell you a recipe that you can use, or you can, you know, make your own variations of that. So what was fun is I'll have restaurant chefs in the challenge. It ranges from restaurant chefs to this year we had a grandma and her granddaughter um, trying to teach her how to cook. So it's the whole gamut of, you know, cooks in this challenge. Um, and they each week everybody posts their recipes and we get to see it, the people that follow the recipe to a T and the people that took the recipe and kind of made their own twist on it. So that's been really fun. And, you know, we'll have people say, I, you know, I've never cooked with beef shanks before or I've never made my own beef broth. But I did, and it wasn't that hard. I mean, it really just started out as a way to just get people in the kitchen um, cooking. So that's happening in the winter. So we got to watch for that on social media this winter. Then, yeah, right? it's usually February is when we start. It's six weeks. All right. I will keep my eye out for February 2022. Recipe challenge, here I come. <laughs> <laughs> So you talked about some some different cuts of meat and inspiring people to use those. So let's talk about some different cuts and and maybe how we as consumers can use them and and maybe expand our rotation as we're talking about of our, of our recipes. Sure. Um, so beef shanks are a a good one. So that's a soup bone or a beef shank. You know, I often I'll sell those to some couples that are, you know, older couples that want to have a roast, but you know, two and a half pound chuck roast is just too much. So they'll buy a, a beef shank and cook it just like a roast and it'll shred and make, make them a, a nice size for, for their family. And then I also have a recipe on our website. That's like a Salisbury steak flavored gravy with, um, the beef shank Ooh. that you just serve over mashed potatoes. Yeah. So that's kind of yeah, and it's an economical cut of beef too. You know, for a family to kind of stretch stretch that out, and then short ribs, beef short ribs is something that you know I didn't grow up with in cooking, and kind of started experimenting. And it's a fatty cut, but it's so delicious when cooked. And it's another one that you can throw in the slow cooker and cook all day and not have to fuss with too much. So short ribs and beef shanks are a couple that I, I love to get people to try. So what do you put in the slow cooker with the short ribs? Because I, I admit, I grew up on a beef farm. I've never cooked short ribs, so I don't know what to put in with Yeah, it. so my favorite is kind of an Asian style. Um, I have the recipe Ooh. on our website. So it's going to be some soy sauce, some beef stock, um, some brown sugar, some sesame oil. And then, then you cook that in the in the slow cooker, and then when you pull it out, I usually serve it with some rice or in ed edamame. See, I love this because I think so many people when they go to the grocery store or when they're planning their 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 meals, they th they automatically think ground beef for like a hamburger or or maybe a taco or a sloppy joe, and then steaks. I mean. Not everybody has the budget to put a nice steak on the table every night. So these are just some great options to to enjoy this this wonderful, nutritious product, but also stretch the family budget a little yeah. bit too. I love yeah. that. Yeah, it's 
And it's fun to try something, you know, it's something different and, you know, everybody, once they've tried the short ribs, people are like, oh wow, you know, I can, that's easy, I can make them and it's delicious, the family loved it. And let's be honest, anything in a slow cooker like that I can put it in the morning and it's ready for dinner when I get done with work, I love to do that for my yes. family. Yes, I'm right with you. I say I use the slow cooker, I think, more in the summer than I do in the winter just because we're so busy, sun up, sun down um, with everything, not just farm related, but sports with the girls and 4-H and all of that, that I use the slow cooker almost more in the summertime than I do in the winter. Well, let's talk a little bit about packages and maybe buying in bulk. We saw last year during the pandemic and, and that fear of, of the meat shortage that, that ha I mean, there was a fear of shortages of everything from toilet paper to meat and everything in between. So we saw a lot of people looking to invest and fill freezers. What does that look like for, for, for a consumer that wants to put, you know, maybe like a half a beef in their freezer or a quarter beef? You know, what kind of cuts come with that? Uh, over the years, we've kind of changed the way that we do it. Um, we do it in a quarter beef and a half beef package uh, just to eliminate. I know, Amy, not everyone has grown up with going to the, you know, sending a beef to the butcher and filling out your cut yeah. sheets and knowing that hanging weight and uh, take home weight are different and what you're not knowing what the price is going to be when you send the animal to the butcher shop because you don't know the hanging weight until they're there. Um, so we've kind of streamlined that process a little bit for our our consumers that have not experienced that. And we put together a quarter beef package and a half beef package that's one flat fee and it lays out on our website exactly what you're going to get in it. So like a quarter beef package is 40 pounds of ground beef and four T-bone steaks, two porterhouse steaks, six ribeyes, beef shanks, and then you get the different roasts, um, chuck roast, rump roast, and sirloin tip roast, a brisket, uh, short ribs, and then um, some, some bones to make your, your stock as well. So yeah, we probably should point this out that there's the live weight of the animal, the hanging weight, and then the take-home weight. Yes. To, to break that all down for everybody, the live weight is what is when the animal is, is standing On there. Hoof. The hanging weight is after it's been processed, and then the take-home weight is after it's been cut down into those pieces that we then put into our freezer. Right, and you know your take home take home weight always depends on what kind of cuts that you're gonna you're gonna take home. Are you taking home things with lots of bone in them, or is everything boneless? Are you just having stuff ground? Um, so that there's gonna be a little variation in that take home take home weight as well. What's a, the approximate wait time to to kind of fill your freezer if you want to order? a bigger package like that instead of just, you know, buying individual cuts, you want to actually kind of maybe stock your freezer. Yeah. So for us, we take deposits on the quarter and half beef package in the winter. So February, March, and then that is ready about this time, September, October, November ish. Um, that just allows us to, to be able to know how many we're going to divert to which program, um, that we do. And what does it approximately cost? I know this can all vary, so we don't want to like, we're not locked in for price, but um, so for for our quarter beef, it's seven hundred dollars. Um, take home with you know, and then that includes all your processing. Um, you're not going to be paying the processor. You don't even contact the butcher. We d we handle all of that, and you just pick up from us. 
I'm assuming you probably have a working relationship with your butcher, but we've seen that, you know, local processors are really backed up and it's very hard to get an appointment to, to get an animal processed. I know my family this summer, we looked at getting um, a beef calf processed and we were told the wait time was like over a year, maybe two years to even get that animal processed. So what, what has that been like for you? Yeah, that's a challenge. Um, so for 2022, we made all of our appointments in February of this year, of 2021. Um, and, and that's hard because you're predicting animals that, you know, aren't, aren't ready and weren't born um, yet to be processed. So um, it's kind of a guessing, guessing game of when you're going to have animals ready and how many you're going to have. It's a challenge, and it's a challenge that all farmers are facing right now. Yeah, not only just farmers, but like I said, consumers as well that are that are looking to 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 have this done for for their own for their own freezers. But talk to me a little bit about the the buying local and and why it's important and what consumers get out of it. Yeah, they, I mean, the first thing they get access to us. So they get access to the people directly raising their animals. Um, the next thing is, I always say it's a trickle down effect. So. When you're buying beef from us, you know, we, we bought some of calves from other farmers. We've bought hay from other farmers and straw. The hay that we've had made on our farm, we, Kenny had cut and raked himself, but we hire someone else to bale it. So that's supporting, you know, someone else. Genetics that we buy locally is, you know, supports obviously ABS, um, and uh, locally, um, and, you know, our feed that we purchase locally. So they're the butcher that's local. There's so much trickle down effect that when you buy just a steak, how many different people you're supporting other than just us in your local community. That's really powerful to think about that of all the people you're helping to employ and helping, you know, their families put food on the table as well when when you're buying a great local steak for your family to enjoy. I just love that thought. Yeah, I mean there's it's it's kind of mind-boggling when you start thinking of all the pieces that go together to put that steak on your table. It's not just it's not just us that that is making that happen. It's the the feed company, the farmers that are growing the the corn for that feed company, the farmers next door to us that we buy the straw straw from, and you know so many. A lot of hands have have involvement in just putting that one single piece of meat on your plate. That's yes. a great thought. Well, I know you're really active in in the farmers market, and you you talk about how that's really a great place to to interact and and learn about these products that are being made in our own local communities. What what has that experience been like for you as a producer, being able to reach and talk to that consumer? Yeah, so I'll, I would start out in saying that farmers markets were not on our radar of something that we were planning to do um, when we started our our beef business. Um, I was going to do quarters and halves of beef. Kenny gave me three to feed out, and if I sold those three, then we would talk about going on to to raising more. Um, I sold those three in no time, in no time. Um, <laughs> and then 
we vacation meeting some friends um, in Indiana at Tyner Pond because um, where else would a farmer go on vacation but rent a farmhouse somewhere else say um, so we meet our Ohio friends there and they were selling packages of beef so um, just small bundles of beef and I was like why don't we maybe we should try that and he's like, I don't know. Then we're, you know, upfronting all of the processing costs and all of that. Um, then you've got product and inventory you're sitting on. So then the next year when we went back, we talked about it again. And we're like, okay, let, let's maybe let's try and see. And so I posted in one of the Sun Prairie Facebook groups. Um, we're looking at doing quarter. We're looking at doing boxes of beef. Would anybody be interested? And so I posted that at like 10 o'clock at night. And by morning, there was like 60 to 80 responses of, yeah. Wow. Um, so then we're like, okay, so now we got to do this. So we're, we were going to do just online sales, home delivery, packages of meat. Um, and so we did that in 2017, right before Thanksgiving, delivered our first bundles. And then I got a call. Uh, I'll never forget it because I was out doing chores. Um and it was really cold, it was January, and it was a, a man from Waterloo, Leslie Kidd, he sold, sold eggs at the farmer's market in Sun Prairie, he was in his 80s, and said, I saw an article about you in the newspaper, you need to come to the farmer's market, we need a beef producer. I was like, oh, I don't think so, you know, we're, we're doing this online sales, he's like, you, you really need to think about it. So we talked again and we're like, we were afraid that everyone would just want steaks and I'd be stuck with all the roast or, you know, vice versa, you know, depending on the season. And so we finally decided we would do it and we started in the winter farmer's market and then in 2018 and we've been there ever since. So um, once we started the farmer's market, I was like, this, this is where we need to be. This, I'm being able to actually talk to consumers and interact and get to meet people is exactly what I needed and what I loved. Um, so rather than just dropping at someone's doorstep, um, being actually being able to have that conversation with a farmer and get to know not only the, them get to know us, but us to get to know them as well has been great. That's what farmer's markets are all about. For our listeners, what questions should they be asking producers when they go to their local farmer's market? What should they be asking? Oh, what should they be asking? That's a good question. Um, I think they should just ask, ask to know their story, ask to know about the people raising their food, um, ask when they can come visit, uh, get so that they can see the farm and see how you operate and the work that goes into it. Well, Sarah, our time's starting to run short here, and I, I just want to offer you this time to share any final thoughts you'd like to leave our listeners with. Oh, I think just find a farmer. Find a farmer to connect with and, and develop that relationship. It's kind of like, you know, once you find your farmer, it's kind of like finding your hairdresser. Um, you're, you're connected, and you get to deepen a relationship of, not only knowing where your meat comes from, but knowing that person, knowing that community member. Um, we've met some great friends just through the farmer's market and some great supporters that are like, hey, if you need anything, we'll be there to help you. Um, 
and you know that's find that farmer find that farmer find that story to connect with um and support your community through your farmers oh i love that We've been talking with Sarah Wells, a first-generation farmer from Rio, Wisconsin. Sarah, thank you for your dedication to the industry, not only as a farmer, but as an advocate that is always looking to share knowledge with the consumer. Here at Inside the Bullseye, we certainly appreciate your time and energy. Thank you so much. Thank you. To learn more about Sarah's Family Farm or how you can order beef from Sarah's family, you can visit wellsfarmsbeef.com. We also have that linked for your convenience in the show notes. You can also follow her on social media at wellsfarmsbeefwi. Farming is more than a job. It's a lifestyle, a lifestyle that fewer and fewer Americans are choosing to live because of the long days, the stress on the body, mind, and soul, and of course the uncertainty of mother nature and the markets that come along with it. But to all of those who risk it day after day, be sure to thank them. A simple thank you from the consumer who enjoys their products. I will tell you, speaking from experience as a farmer's daughter, it sure goes a long way. If you're like me and you're not quite ready for this conversation to end just yet, head over to our social media pages, search Inside the Bullseye, and be sure to give us a like and follow. And if you're enjoying your time with us here at Inside the Bullseye, be sure to share this episode with a friend. so much for joining us. I hope after listening, you feel just a little more connected to the people and places that have made it possible for you to bring all of your favorite products into your home every day. Inside the Bullseye is available for download right now. Just click subscribe wherever you consume your favorite podcasts and catch a new episode featuring a new guest every Thursday. Don't forget, be sure to join the conversation as well. We'd love to hear from you. Follow along on Facebook and Instagram at Inside the Bullseye. You have questions? Ask me. I'll get you the answer in a future episode. This episode of Inside the Bullseye wouldn't be possible without ABS Global. ABS is a bovine genetic company that's proud to partner with farmers in 70 countries all around the globe to produce nutritional animal proteins to feed the world. Thanks so much for joining us. In the meantime, be sure to thank a farmer.